This is December 4th, 2022. And uh, last week, I had the privilege of sitting at the bedside of a 99-year-old man as he was dying. And I wanted to offer some comments about that. I had received an email from a longtime member of the Sangha and a senior student, Susan Culpepper. Uh, and in that, she mentioned that she was flying to Florida to be with her father, uh, who had just been moved into a hospice center there. I asked where in Florida, and she said, Port Charlotte, which is just an hour down the coast from here. I offered to visit her, and she took me up on it. Susan had come to Rochester uh, for the ordination in October, for the ordination and just uh, to re-engage with the Sangha. Uh, she had been through uh, a long year and a half grueling recovery from major, major surgery. And uh, it was her first chance in, in all that time to uh, connect physically, in person. But uh, she came down with COVID while she was at Chapin Mill. And so she never made it to Arnold Park for the ceremony. So this was, uh, this would be my first chance in years uh, for us to see each other in person. And for my part, uh, I needed a Sangha fix. Um, there's no one, no one in the Sangha down here. And uh, it was, it was an opportunity for me, for sure. So the hospice, the hospice uh, was a very nice place. Um, spacious, quiet, very um, responsive staff of volunteers, quiet area around it, inside and outside, kind of a rural old Florida on the outside. If you have to die, I'd say this would be a good place to do it. I said earlier, I used the word privilege, and, and it is a privilege. Well, it's a privilege also uh, to visit. For me, it's a privilege to visit people in the hospital. Why? I've, I've wondered that myself. When I go into hospitals as a visitor, <laughs> um, I, I always feel somehow uplifted. Uh, and, and, and this is the best way I can understand it. Uh, that when you're visiting someone in a hospital, you're, in visit, you're visiting them in a, a reduced state. That is, you're visiting them in a, when they're in a vulnerable state. And vulnerable means open, receptive. I say receptive, not so much to any words of mine. Um, it, okay, if, if they, they have questions, people in hospitals, 
Uh, if they have questions, then I'm glad to reply as, as best I can based on my experience and maybe even based on my familiarity with Zen teachings, the Dharma. Uh, but when I say receptivity on their part, openness on their part, it's more to the these basic facts of existence which Siddhartha encountered uh, when he left the palace, according to the story, uh, and his, his wandering through the dusty plains of northern India, he came upon a sick person, an old person, a dead person, and they say a monk, sort of by contrast. Uh, as I see it, it says in the account for the first time, well, he was 29. He would have lived in, in ancient India in, a, in an environment, even the palace, where there would have been uh, multiple generations of family. And so we don't need to take this literally. It was at the age of 29, he didn't see for the first time a sick person. He would have been sick himself, surely, by the age of 29. Uh, a sick person, an old person, uh, even a dead person. It's, the dead are not tucked away in India in that time, certainly not in that time, uh, the way they tend to be in this country, in Western culture. But as I understand it, that for the first time, Siddhartha really saw a sick person, an old person, and a dead person. He had, he had gone beyond what for many of us is a denial of these basic uh, features of human existence, all existence, not just human. He would have been protected to a large extent from these things, but, but now, on his own out there, he, they, the, the impact, as I understand it, the impact would have been of a different order entirely. And uh, it really got to him. When we are in a hospital, uh, we have to face lack of control of the body and its functions to some degree, or the, the loss of the illusion of control. We can often find our way through much of life uh, with sort of probably unconsciously the sense that we are the, we're in charge of the body to some degree through diet and exercise and other aspects of the way we live. But then even, even if we are very scrupulous about diet and exercise and so forth, at some point we're going to realize that it's not all up to us. Impermanence, entropy, if you will, 
and uh, nothing will bring this home quite like being on our back uh, with serious illness or injury. I always see that as two, sort of the same thing in Buddhist teaching, uh, sickness and injury, uh, both, both of them uh, reveal in a very forceful way um, the limits of our, our control, our management of our well-being. Uh, when I do go to hospitals, I'm still talking about hospitals now. When I do go to hospitals, uh, if, if someone, the person I'm visiting is conscious and they have any questions uh, that I might be able to answer, of course, I'm not talking about medical questions, uh, then, then I will respond. to what I've experienced or at least what I've read, what I know. Uh, but otherwise, my teaching, quote, unquote, and I hope anyone's teaching in that situation, is simply to be with the patient. What does be with mean? It means to be fully present right there with her or him or them to be right there without any agenda open open oneself as open as the patient might be at that point to be equally open to be noticing Noticing as best we can what's called for in that situation by that particular patient. And this is not something that maybe comes so naturally to us. Uh, I've heard many, 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 many stories of people who, with the best intentions, go in to visit a relative or friend and start spouting uh, what they think the patient needs to hear. One of the most common is you'll get through, you're gonna beat this, you're gonna, you're gonna beat this thing. No, don't falter, it's you're gonna do, you're gonna be fine. Patients, Many patients don't want to hear that because if they know it's kind of bullshit that we can't know for sure that we're going to beat it. This is the sort of the cheerleading um, idea of visiting people in hospitals. So it's the last thing I would do well, maybe not the last thing. I also would not say, you're a dead duck. This is going to be too much for you. We don't need to claim to know how it's all going to resolve itself if we're just fully there with them. 
noticing, watching, hearing, listening, listening, sensing what it is they need. Yeah, and I suppose it's possible that with some patients, um, that, that is what they need. They want to hear uh, a kind of pep talk. Don't know. That person we're visiting is not the person we know from outside the hospital. Not quite the same. Of course... Our training for doing this is Zen practice. For those of us who practice Zen, what is Zen practice? It's training ourselves to be aware, to, to be noticing the condition of the mind, noticing when the mind is drifting off into thoughts or fantasies, and then to to not dwell in that, not dwell in the thoughts or fantasies, but to shake them off, to come back to whatever the practice is. If it's, a, if it's a koan, then come back to the koan. Otherwise, to come back to, if you're sitting, of course, it's the breath, uh, if you're doing breath practice, but to, to detach from thoughts and fantasies. And, and, and there it is. It's, Again, it may not be so easy. We, we, we may want desperately uh, to see a certain outcome uh, with, with a patient. Uh, and so uh, we need training uh, to, to be fully with them and not be imposing uh, any kind of doctrine or belief system we have unless they ask again unless they ask for it i've had that sometimes um, where the person will ask about the teaching the dharma then even then uh whatever we offer um we have to be sensitive to when to stop talking But now, this privilege I had last week was not a hospital. It was a hospice. And Susan's father was unconscious. Now, what about that? What can you do for someone who is lying unconscious? Uh, how do we know? They're completely unconscious. I've, I've heard and read that uh, they can hear what we're saying in some cases. The unconscious person, so-called unconscious person. I once sat with someone who was unconscious and all I did was just sit. I wasn't sitting cross-legged on the floor. There was a chair there. I sat up on the front edge of the chair, which I always recommend. It works best for me. 
So not be leaning back in the chair if you don't need to. Uh, sitting in the chair next to the bed of this woman. And I just did Zazen. And she came out of her unconsciousness. This was, wasn't a hospice. She came out of her unconsciousness and she, she told me that it was wonderful just to have a visitor who just sat. Because isn't it true that if we're just sitting, whatever our practice is while we're sitting, but if we're, if we're in Zazen, we're somehow encompassing everything. We're, we're concurring with what is. And I think that's the, that's the most we can do. That's the highest form of, of giving. As some people may feel moved or compelled to uh, pray. Um, I've never quite understood petitionary prayer myself, uh, but I would certainly welcome that from anyone who wanted to. I suppose if I were, if I were in a hospital or hospice and someone was praying, uh, I, I wouldn't object to that. But um, I don't want to get into the whole premise of a, of a loving, omniscient, um, omnip omnipotent, omnipresent God. So let's just step away from that and just stick to what my own sense is that just fully being with the person who is uh, sick or unconscious or dying in unconsciousness. Vincent was unconscious. I never, I had never met him, of course, um, but it was, it was moving to sit there with him. Susan had invited me. We had spent about an hour catching up before she invited me to visit him. I was pleased that she did. And uh, 99 years old. He's very thin. Lying on his side, his knees pulled up. Sort of halfway in the fetal position. Breathing, eyes open, eyes open a little bit, but clearly not responsive. So no questions to be answered there, no questions from the patient. And so I just uh, put my hand on his, hoping that that would be okay with him and just held his hand there in, in silence for, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes. It was a privilege. It was a privilege to be in such a hospice facility where there was such quiet. So real.
in the few cases where I've been with uh, someone as, as they were dying, um, I felt a kind of, how do you describe it? Electricity doesn't quite capture it. Uh, uh, an excitement, if I may, an excitement. And, and, and the same excitement that I felt in the room when I went once uh, to be at the, the birth of uh, one of my sister's children. She had invited me to be there. I was, my assignment was to support her back. And, uh, but even before then, when I walked in the room, it was, it was what I remember from being on psychedelics. It was a, and, and I mean, there was a solemnity, a transcendent, excitement in the room at that delivery and uh, can feel just reporting from my own experience, feel the same thing uh, when someone is dying and uh, in hospice or when they have just died, you know that there's in, 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 in Buddhist texts and texts, you hear the, linkage of the term birth and death. Uh, I think that's not so common in our own Western uh, Judeo-Christian traditions to link birth and death, might say life and death. And uh, but consider birth and death and both, both are transitions, the ultimate transition and both have this the the individual who's being born even the individual who's dying is has the same vulnerability fragility the same promise who who can know at the, the birth of a child what lies ahead and who can know as we're dying what lies ahead you know this is all uh, i think a, quite a different experience if you believe in rebirth than if you don't maybe to me it is we have birth and death the words birth and death linked also uh in the on the wooden block hanging in the uh, Zendo's at Arnold Park and Chapin Mill. Great is the matter of birth and death. Life slips quickly by. Time waits for no one. Wake up, wake up. Don't waste a moment. Both birth and death are times of opportunity. In the case of death, it's it's uh, it's the it's entering this transition that uh, we often refer to as the bardo, the transition period, where we're we are um, uh, 
entering solitude with our karmic forces. It's exciting. It's more than exciting. Vincent uh, died the next day. Susan texted me. Where is he now? I think this is the week of the, uh, the Buddha's enlightenment ceremony at the Zen Center. Uh, if not this week, it's next week. I don't so closely check the calendar. Um, but uh, I hope that people who are there for the ceremony, who are, are listening in on Zoom, watching, can uh, appreciate that especially that part where Siddhartha for the first time encountered an old person, a sick person, a dead person, and can um, appreciate um, what, what is possible after we squarely face uh, these vulnerabilities of, of uh, sentient existence. Because if we do face them and we use them as, as inspiration, this, this, it's all impermanence. If we can face our own impermanence uh, and use it to see what we can find that's beyond impermanence, beyond impermanence, then we are really taking advantage of this human existence. Thank you again. I, I won't, I don't plan to be uh, doing a lot of these recordings. And uh, I, I appreciate uh, John Sensei and Donna Sensei inviting me to, to do these from time to time, or at least... <laughs> consenting for me to do these from time to time. And I uh, hope all of you will have wonderful holidays and uh, check in again one of these weeks.